Stewart, Sheila, Francis, and I were all the way in holiday in Florida. And I know that some of you were worried about us. I know that some of you might have been thinking if Harry and Dorian gets them, Hurricane Dorian, we'll have to form another vacancy committee, another worship leader, and another fabric convener all at the same time. But we survived. Hurricane Dorian. Every night on one of any 20 weather channels, you got an up-to-date idea as to where it was and what its strength was and how powerful it was. And I hope that we are beginning to realize that for the Church of Scotland, there's a hurricane approaching. And it's no exaggeration to say that the devastation that this hurricane will bring, it could cause considerable damage. Because as a denomination, we are in a mess. In this century, in only 19 years, we've managed to lose about 50% of our membership. And the one thing that the Church of Scotland is doing better than probably most other churches in Scotland is losing members quicker. We were better at losing members last year than we were the year before, and if we really get our act together, next year is going to be a bonus. And that's where we are. And the irony of that whole thing is we're living in a time of unprecedented church growth. It's hard for us to believe it, but over the past hundred years, more folk have come to faith in Jesus than ever before. We're not seeing it in the West, but in places like China and South America and, 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 and loads of the islands, folk are clambering over themselves to become Christians but not in Scotland. And that's why this year at the General Assembly, the church in its wisdom got together, and the first time, I think, in my time as a minister, they've called together the church to pray and to seek the will of God. And that's why we're having eight weeks of prayer time starting a week on Monday. We're doing it Mondays and Thursdays. It's the same thing, so don't come to both of them. So um, make sure you sign up. There's a sheet there and there's one there. We've got about 40 or 50 folk already, I think, signed up. And what we're going to do is really seek the mind of God. That's what we're going to do. I don't know if this happens to you. It happens to me quite often. Someone phones me and without saying who they are, they just start talking. You ever get that? You know, they're blabbing away about something, telling me, and I'm thinking, who is this? You ever done that? Yeah, this, yeah, that happens quite often. And what happens is you spend the first two or three seconds wondering who it is, but you've got to watch what you say. Could be anybody. And that's what happens quite often. When it's someone you know, you speak differently. When Francis is on the phone to, to Peter or Ruth, I can tell without even knowing she's speaking to Peter or Ruth. I can also tell when it's an unsolicited call looking for some kind of survey being done. The voice really changes then. <laughs> and I want to say that's the same thing that happens when it comes to talking with God. Because that's essentially what prayer is. Talking with God. How do you see God? Or what do you know about God? Or how is your relationship with God? Because that will determine whether you have any kind of communication at all. I mean, do you see God as a cosmic cop? Some people do. The one who's watching, making sure you're keeping the rules. Do you see God as 
a Santa Claus God. Some folk do. You know, he's making a list, checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And some folk think that's what God does. Some people see God as a Play-Doh God. I think this is the, one of the common ones today. You know, you make your own version of God. You know, well, I think God should look like this. Who cares what you think, really? God is God. And the way we see God determines the whole way we communicate with God. Because if you have a misconception with, uh, with God or about God, you will never communicate with him. One writer said this, what, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Think about that. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Some of you will be blank. Because that's what it is. What is God really like? I could do a whole series in this one. The shorter catechism, whatever that is, says God is spirit. God is infinite. God is unchangeable in his being, in his truth, in his character. And he's justice. And I thought about covering every single one of them today. Because there's no evening service. <laughs> but I'm only going to do one. And I don't know if you've got your uh, orders of service here, sermon notes. Um, you can follow along with us on the back. There should be a pen near you. I think we'll put 40 new pens in there. The good thing about it is you know when we're getting near the end. You know, it's only five. And our first filling this morning, number one, is God is good. This is what I'm going to concentrate on this morning. God is good. And you see it throughout the Bible, and we hear it in the Psalms specifically. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. You're forgiving and good, Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. So that's the first thing. God is good. And I want to focus on that because that's the whole basis of prayer. Who would pray to a God that is bad? So if we're going to have any kind of prayer time at all, that's the first thing we've got to realize. God is good. And because God is good, then we can say with confidence, fill in number two, God's plans for your life are always good plans. Always. Now, it'll shock some of you to know that God's got a plan for you. He has. God's got a plan for every single one of us. And we've got to find out what that is. And God's plans are good plans. And that's why I took that reading from the prophet Jeremiah nearly 3,000 years ago. The folk were going to be taken into exile. But God says, this is what I've got for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope for the future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. God's plan for your life, that's a good plan. God's plan for the Church of Scotland is a good plan. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to like it, but it's a good plan. A plan that's going to give us hope, a plan that's going to give us a future. Because God says, my plans will prosper and they will not harm you. And that's what we're seeking in our prayer time. What is God's plan for this church here and for the churches in Presbytery, and for the churches in Scotland. Why do we know God's plans are good plans? Because God is a good God. God is a good God. 
Number three, fill in says, because God is a good God, God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. That's quite a big one. God will give us what I need, not what I deserve. It says this in the Psalms, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. Can you imagine what it would be like if God treated us fairly or justly? You know. Who wants a God that is just? Who wants a God that, let's do a wee survey. I do service sometimes. Let's do, who wants a God that is totally just? He will not deviate from what he says. Anybody? One. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Who wants a God that's going to give you what you deserve? Anybody? Hope not. Hope not. Because you can imagine what it would be like if God did that. If we got what we deserve. Because most of us, if we're honest, we hold some kind of values that we think are quite true. Honesty, decency, truth. And just think of those things, whether you follow Jesus or not. Same material. Honesty, truth, justice. And see how long it takes you to think back in your life when you've screwed up in one of those. When you've said something that you should never have said. Or thought something. That's, that's the crazy thing about God. The thing I hear about God, it says, God knows the thoughts of human beings. Can you imagine that? You know, some of you have blown it this morning. In fact, some of you have blown it in this service. I mean, really, you know, you're sitting there 5 to 12 and it's not even it's filling 4. You know, you've gone. Think of the promises we break. The good things we want to do, but we never seem to get round to doing them. And the Bible says that's what we're just like. And the Bible's full of people who are worse than us. You believe that? If you don't believe that, you've not read your Bible. Take King David. King David. King David was a man after God's heart. He was one of the heroes in the Bible. Remember David and Goliath fame? That story. This is King David. Great guy. Fantastic guy. Until one morning he got up early. He shouldn't have got up so early. It's bad if he got up early. Went for a wee morning walk on the top of his house. Just about there. Was this woman naked having a bath? She was a cracker. She was. Whew. Well, for him, all thoughts of goodness and health being king went out the window. He says, I need a bit of that. And he did, committed adultery with her. And then he got thinking, man, her husband's a captain in the army. He is bigger than me. What are we going to do? Well, needs must. Comes up with a great plan, fantastic plan. How am I going to stop her husband knowing I've committed adultery with her? Any ideas? Kill the husband. That's what he does. King David goes, kills the husband. And he thinks he's got away with it. 
You know, these are the nice folk we've got in the Bible. And then what happens is the whole story comes out a wee bit later. And then David actually goes to God and he pleads to God for mercy. Now, does David deserve mercy? What do you think? Come on, who's, who's merciful enough to give David a second chance? Probably nobody that's married, certainly no woman who's married. <laughs> you got to be kidding. You know, today we'd want him locked up, throw the key away. So if you ever find yourself in some kind of dire straits and just before the police are coming to get you, read Psalm 51. That was David's response to his wrongdoing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and cleanse me from my sin. What a nerve. What a nerve. I've committed adultery and I've murdered a man, you know. Treat me nice. Philip number four says, God forgives us not because we are good, but because God is good. Because if you read the story in the end, God does forgive him. God forgives us not because we're good, but because he's good. And so often we compensate for what we do wrong by trying to do some bit of good. You ever do that? You know, you know you've been you know, pretty bad at the weekend, so Monday, Tuesday, you know, you're nice even to the cat, you know, and you try to balance this out, and if I can get, you know, just enough goodness in there. And we play that game. And we can't do it. But the Bible says God looks favorably on us. God forgives us not because we are good, but because, and you're going to learn this this morning, because God is good. That's why. Not only does God forgive us for our sins, he does a crazy thing. He welcomes us back. And that's a bit I don't understand. This is a big deal. You've got to get this bit. God will always receive you back. And that's the opposite to what people do. You try that. Think of the last person you hurt. You know, you're off their Christmas list. They do not invite you out for coffee or anything. They keep you at arm's length. And we do the same thing. I don't have anything to do with them. You know? God is different. Why is this? Because God is unlike people. God is not like us. And one of our deepest fears, if we were honest, is the fear of rejection. We hate being rejected. And we plan so much of our life to make sure whatever happens, I'm going to try and be nice so folk do not reject me. And we limit our lives sometimes so that we're not rejected. And we live to please others so that they will like us. A few years ago, you might be old enough to have come across this book. There was a book entitled, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Anyone read that book? No, you've got to read more. Read more. Anyone know the answer to that question? Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And the answer the book gives, I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am. And it's all that I have. And we're not getting that one up. That's the one. Yeah. John Paul. 
His book was Insights into Personal Growth. And it's true. And that's why we wear masks. But because God is good and God is always good, God will never reject us. Even when we sin against him. Even when we deny him. God loves you who you are because he's made you the way you are. And some of you have got to hear that this morning. God loves you the way you are because he's made you the way you are. And we spend a lot of our time trying to change the way we are. What's all this got to do with prayer? You know, even I've been thinking that. The next 40 minutes will tell you. <laughs> because God is good, then we can be bold in prayer. And we're going to be looking at this verse sometimes later. It's from Hebrews. And it says, because we do not have a high priest, that's really Jesus. Because we've got Jesus who's unable, is, who is able that should be able to sympathize with us in our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And we're going to be looking at that again, because folk are going to say, why could you have the nerve to think you can go to God and pray to God and ask God to sort out the mess the Church of Scotland has got itself into? It's because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is not surprised how we behave. He came and he walked this earth and many of the temptations that, that we went through, he did the same thing, although he did not sin. So he's not surprised by what's going on. So that's a verse for today. We're going to boldly go to God and we're going to say, God, what's the problem and how do we get ourselves out of it? Number five. Is that the last one? Whew. Number five says, because God is a good God, he puts your good above his own good. Now this is massive. He puts your good above his own good. And this is the heart of the gospel. Because the Christian faith is totally different from any other faith system that goes around. I know there's a lot of well-meaning folk today saying, well, just sort of lump all these faith systems together and blend them up, put them in the mixer and see what comes out. Can't be done. Because we're totally different from everything else. Totally different from everything else. Because there's no other faith system where the king dies for the subjects. Doesn't happen. And I can't wait to wake Aria up and tell her all these fairy stories and tales that I have learned over all the years. It's going to be great. Sleeping beauty. Oh, woken by a handsome prince. I don't know if that's PC just now. You know, it's probably anything. Rapunzel. Remember how the hair? Rescue from captivity. Snow White. Oh, saved from the wicked queen. Shrek. <laughs> you know, and they all end the same way. The hero or the heroine gets what they want, and everyone lives happily ever after. And I can't wait to tell Aria when she's a wee bit older. Fairy tales aren't true. <laughs> not true. They're not. And I'm going to tell her a tale where the king dies, and it looks as though the bad people win. But just because God is a good God, God raised Jesus from the dead. 
And this story's got a happy ending. And the difference is, that's the only story that's true. It's the only one that's true. We're going to fill our head with such nonsense, with all these untrue stories. But she's got to hear the one story that's true. And that's the story of Jesus that will bring meaning and purpose, not just to her life, to all our lives. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my sheep know me. And I will lay down my life for my sheep. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said when he walked this earth. So whenever you see the symbol of the cross, that's a symbol of God's goodness. Why was God willing to do that? Any idea at all? What's the next slide say? Oh man, because God is a good God. And it gets better. It gets better. Not only did he do that, let's look at this verse here. I'm taking it from the Living Bible because I've never come across this before and I quite like it. It says, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Now, that sounds very nice till we get the force of it. Let's just break that down a wee bit. God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. So, every murder, every rape, every abuse, every lie, every cheating, every bullying, every bad word spoken, every bad thought thought was laid on Jesus. And it was poured into his life. No other faith system promises that. They wouldn't dare. Every other system says, you've got to be good, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to go through all these hoops of Christianity. He says, you've just got to realize the one thing, that that man on that cross, he died for all that. I was going to say crap stuff. Can you use that in the church? No, we won't. All that naughty stuff that we've done. But what does the second half of that verse say? God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Isn't that amazing? Not only does God deal with what we've done wrong, he's prepared to make us good. And I want to say to a lot of folk this morning, stop trying to be good because you can't do it. You can't. I've studied folk for 60 years nearly. And they're no good. You can't be good. You can't make yourself good. I know you try, and I know you'll speak to me outside later. You can't. And this is the way that you're made good. God wants to pour his goodness into us. Why on earth would God want to do that? Good, John. We're getting there. Next one. Because God is a good God. That's the one thing I want you to learn. You know, what did he say? I don't know. It went on for a while, but he kept saying God is a good God. Good. And that's why I'm concerned about the state of the Church of Scotland. That's why I'm concerned about our church, because we need this church to survive. Because apart from the Roman Catholic Church in Scotland, they're the only two denominations that cover the whole of Scotland. And if the whole of Scotland is going to hear this great message of what Jesus has done, then we need both these denominations to survive. So what do we do? Well, it's not the first time that the church has been in this state. You know, I'm still trying to do a church history course. I've got to. It would cheer you all up. You know, you might think we are bad. Oh, the church has been really bad. 
So, there's hope for us. But the one thing we've got to remember, above everything else this morning, any idea what it is? God is good. So what do we do? Well, it's such a shame that all you visitors can't come back for next week for the answers. Because that's what I'm going to look at. But you'll find it on the website. <laughs> Seven will be there. Queer Church. What is it? I missed a dot. What is it? Christine. What's the website? Is it church? Is it not Trequeer.Trequeerparishchurch.com? Just, just, just look, just Google John Notman sermons. You'll, you'll find it somewhere. Yeah. God gives us a solution to the woes. I don't want you to have a sleepless night. There is a solution to it. He gives us a solution. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And it's a great story because King Solomon, remember David, David and Goliath, adultery, had, uh, Solomon was his son. He was just as bad. Um, but he wanted to build a big temple for God. We always want to do that for God. God, can I do something good for you? Yeah, just believe in Jesus. No, can, can I build you a nice wee church? No, no, just believe in Jesus. Can I give you all my money? Well, that would help, but uh, uh, just, just uh, believe in Jesus. And Solomon was the same. I want to build you a lovely temple. He wanted to build himself a big house as well, which I thought ruined it. But he builds himself a nice big house, and then he builds this beautiful big temple. And he was... Quite cock-a-hoop, you know, the church were all gathering. It's going to be a great celebration. It's going to be fantastic. And this is the message that God gave Solomon. And this is the message for today. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And that's that second bit. I will heal their land. That's what we need. So next week, I can promise you, the sermon's going to be shorter. Because we're only going to look at one word. And its implications. And the word is, if. Is that enough? <laughs> Amen. <laughs>